Welcome back to Sustaining Craft, the podcast all about uh, the stories of those in a creative industry. I'm Elizabeth Silverstein, and I have with me today Giovanni Leva of Leva's Coffee. Giovanni, how are you? Very good. How are you? <laughs> Doing well, thanks. What do you do, Giovanni? Well, I am a third, fourth generation coffee farmer, actually. I always get confused because uh, we forget about my great-grandfather, oh. uh, who actually uh, grew coffee, and then my grandfather, my dad, and I. And then my brother and I, my sister. So uh, I'm a fourth-generation coffee farmer who happens to be on a mission to eradicate poverty in the coffee industry. And you're from Guatemala. I'm originally born and raised in Guatemala, and I've been in the states for about 20 years. And one of the reasons we met um, because your your name kept coming up. I was at Nexus Coffee, and mm-hmm. they they sell your coffee, and um, have just heard some other things. Found you on Instagram. And the reason I wanted to interview you is because last summer I had the opportunity to make Guatemalan tamales. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know that there was differences in tamales or, you know, how to make them or any of that. So I went to um, a friend's house and we learned. But before we even drank Guatemalan beer or made the Guatemalan tamales, he sat us down and told us the history of Guatemalan culture and what was happening. And it was very interesting to me because I had always known that there were certain... Um, chains that had really good coffee, and I didn't understand why, and he explained why. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to share some of that? Yeah, that's awesome. You know, Guatemala, by the way, tamales are absolutely, oh, you just made me hungry. Oh, I, so I uh, made yeah. myself hungry. <laughs> no, I, um, I was just talking to my parents this week and how much I, I was just there in April, and but I'm just ready to go back. <laughs> I miss Guatemala. Guatemala is so beautiful because uh, for many reasons, but one of the reasons is it's got so many microclimates. So it is, uh, its topography allows it to have mountain on one side, coast on one side, coast on the other side, rainforest, volcanic. It has tons of volcanoes all over. So soil can be different from one corner of the country to the next one. Beautiful um, weather is the, its nickname is the eternal spring. Um, so for, for all those reasons, um, it could also, it is the, the number one exporter of coffee into the United States because of its proximity and its fineness of coffee. Uh, the other thing about it is, is coffee on the East Coast and the West Coast and the Central location, they all taste completely different. Um, they all have really different characteristics. And um, the beautiful part about coffee is that coffee, it is a very complicated food element because uh, there's so many traces of flavors that can come to it. And so there's no, um, I've been trying to do this for years, is I'm tra- trying to tell people coffee is not just brown water yeah. or really dark, strong water that you mm-hmm. drink in the mornings. Mm-hmm. It is this beautiful, elegant drink that you can really enjoy and, and get pieces of each of the countries and the, the, uh, pieces of each of the origins that produce it. And at the same time, engage with the farmers um, that put so much labor because it is labor-intensive uh, mm-hmm. crop. It is unbelievable how much care it goes throughout the year, how much care it goes through while while picking it, and how much care it takes to and craft it takes 
to roast and pour and extract a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my uh, one of my goals and one of our goals as a company is to really start bringing the romance back to coffee. To really start getting people engaged back into the to the craftsmanship of it, and so uh, it starts with out of the four generations of coffee farmers, I'm the first one that has ever been on this side of the of the river <laughs> or of the world, mm -hmm. and I've seen what the industry looks like on this side. Mm -hmm. um, every, we just sold it in the regular market like everybody else does it, and we sold it raw, and we never saw it after that. And so my, my grandfather, who was an, a tremendous man, once uh, said that he wished that he could shake the person's hand that was drinking his coffee. Because yeah. he wished he could know that the person that he was working for, for his crop, would appreciate everything. Mm -hmm. And so if you stop and think about that, now I am here two generations later, actually fulfilling my grandfather's dream. You're shaky because you're going into the stores that are selling your coffee. Not only that, it's one, that, one way that I wanted to do I just didn't want to do, I just didn't want to sell coffee because mm -hmm. I just don't want to, um, you know, coffee to a lot of people again, and especially in the South, it's just coffee. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't want to just sell coffee. I wanted to lock arms with like-minded people. They will want to enjoy and they will want to jump on this journey that I'm in and that my family uh, started to eradicate poverty through coffee. That's that's really what I wanted to do. And by the what we will do that while we enjoy a good cup of coffee. And so that's why we we haven't marketed to the masses. That's why we haven't gone to see how many people we can get as fast as we can get mm -hmm. in the flashiest way that we can get it. It has been locking arms with like-minded people. And, and that takes one at a time, that takes a uh, nexus, that takes a capital hotel, that takes uh, all the individuals that come to our website and, and buy coffee. And that's the reason why we didn't start with a brick and mortar place. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't want to just be this this flashy new guy, I wanted to be this this uh, person that, that was focused on the basics and, on, and it had a solid foundation, and the foundation is is to have a solid mission that is poverty eradication. Uh, that's I think that's wonderful. And let's pull that back just a second too, because one of the reasons so there are farmers. You're you said you're fourth generation farmer, mm -hmm. and it's because there it's very rural in Guatemala. Yes, right. So everyone's they're making coffee on this farm, but it, it takes hours to get anywhere. It takes hours to get to a city. It takes yeah. hours to get to school. Yes, one of the things about Guatemala again is that it's very underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a third world country. Um, sadly enough, there's big cities, but there's still the where where our farm is. Back when I was when I came to the United States back in 1997, it was literally stuck in the 1800s America. Uh, and what I mean by that, it was there, there was no road. We could not drive to our house. We could not. Uh, we didn't have electricity. Uh, we we didn't have running water. We didn't have all the anything. It's, it's literally, is this bunch of little houses in the middle of no freaking where, mm -hmm. and that was our farm, uh, and that's how Guatemala is, and that's how a bunch of other countries around the world are, and so for a person, what people don't get is that the coffee is picked by individual little families, that their livelihood is is based on the fact that they can sell whatever they grow in their backyard. Mm -hmm. This backyard could be, uh, you know, uh, 
12 by 12, it could be, uh, you know, acre, two acres, three acres, but they depend on this. And if they don't sell that, and, and somebody has to go and search for that, and, and those are called coyotes. And so they come up there and, and purchase the coffee from these rural places, aggregate it to a bigger pile and a bigger pile, and then that gets exported, um, and that gets imported into the United States, that get brokerage and all that. And so this is the way we did it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just what you do. You wake up and you go, oh, okay, well, let's just go pick coffee. Well, let's talk about how that changed for your family. So there were a couple of things that happened. Yeah. You didn't, it wasn't an accident that you ended up in the United States. Yes. It was your father, it was what school was two and a half hours away. Yes. And your father said this was important. We yes, so education has always been important to us. Uh, my dad, sadly enough, he couldn't finish school, uh, high school. He only went to the sixth grade. And so he goes to sixth grade and he has to work at the farm and, and do, because he's the oldest of the brothers. Um, so he has to do that, but he didn't want that for us. So he says, hey, we're going to move you to the city. So he moves us seven hours away from the farm so that we could actually go to school and finish up school. So my brother, my sister, and I go on and we finish school. We'll graduate from high school. Um, what's interesting is that my dad's uh, desire for education keeps, um, and he has been a learner. He's, uh, he's always learning, and so I, that, I admire that of him. So he goes on and finishes school, okay. uh, finishes college, high okay. school. It would be like he got his GED, I think that's what How it's called. Oh, he had to be in his 30, late 30s. And what's your father's name? Armando. Armando, and my mom's uh, name is Norma. So he goes on and graduates uh, from high school. So education was such an important part of our lifestyle because uh, we knew that in, in order to do something, you need to, you need to get educated. So during that time, um, I get the opportunity to come to the United States on a private scholarship. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so I get this chance to come to America. Uh, this family, uh, the Abernathys, um, are from North Little Rock. Carvin and Sally are from here, from mm-hmm. Little Rock. So they, this is the whole reason why I ended up in Little Rock. Mm-hmm. So I come here, but the problem when I come here, I don't know enough English. Mm-hmm. And I come here with uh, my parents' life savings of 20 bucks and a shoebox. And that was all my belongings. Mm-hmm. Uh, come back, uh, come to the States, and I don't know enough English, so I have to go and learn English. So I, I learn English. I go to UALR and to the Intensive English Language Program. Uh, and I clearly remember one day, the Avernatis have to go to work. They drop me off on this uh, in front of this building, and they say, "You go that way." <laughs> and I'm sitting over there on the steps because I'm, I'm early, and I happen to look up, and I see an airplane go by, and I go, oh "My God, I just want to go back home. <laughs> this is this is it. This 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 no way. Just I, I don't want to do this." But what were you feeling at the time? Where it was overwhelming. It was. I miss my family. Yeah. Um, I miss back home. I felt like uh, it was just uh, an unbelievable experience that I, I is you know you you have a dream sometimes, mm-hmm. and you wish you could be there, but you don't realize how hard that is going to be to get to that dream. Yeah. And so you're there. You're sitting. I am 18 years old. I'm probably the longest I've ever been away from my mom and dad. And I'm in a completely, I'm 2,000 miles away from that, and I'm in a completely different world, not knowing how to 
eat. Or communicate, yeah. And so what was that process for you? How did you, and you learned, you learned English very quickly. Yes. How did you take that, that moment of feeling overwhelmed and then take the next step and then the next step? How were you able to push yourself forward? Well, you know, I, I think you're right. I, it, it is, you feel like you're um, a child trapped in a man's body. Mm-hmm. And you have so much to say, but you can't find a way to communicate. And by the way, that's still happening to me right now. Mm. Uh, it still happens to me a lot, uh, especially in the business right now, because I know, I know I can change. I know, I know what I want to say. I know how, but I don't know how to express it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I know my love for the coffee, and I know my love for the energy. And I know that when people taste our coffee, they're gonna taste something completely different, and they're gonna fall in love with the coffee again. How do you get there? Mm-hmm. So I'm experiencing exactly that on the steps moment um, every day today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the one of the beautiful or how I got through that moment is knowing that I was created uh, by God for a purpose, and I knew at that moment that it wasn't just about me. It was there was a process by which I was. There. There was a process that I was being put through so that I could come on the other side. And then one day, because one person, one couple invested in my life, that I was going to then be able to pay it forward one day. And so I knew for my moment that it wasn't about me. It was about something that I was choosing to be a part of. And uh, and so um, that's how I believe you know people are still amazed when I tell people I learned English I was fluent I was speaking English from zero to being able to speak in, in eight months but people don't realize they're like oh wow that's you must have been smart maybe but you know what I did I study from 8 a.m. to about 2 a.m. 24 hours a day, so it felt like seven days a week. I did, I, I apply myself. I was there. I memorized books and books and books of verbs. Uh, I, I did all that. Uh, but yeah, I did accomplish it. But, but you gotta be, you gotta realize when you realize that you are here for other than your self gratification, then it's when the light bulb goes on. And then you go, oh, well, okay then, so it's not all about me, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that that's, that's what keeps me alive today. That's what keeps me alive today. This is what exactly what I woke up this morning, 5 a.m., I opened my eyes and I went, all right, today I get to go to work and I get to find a way to share through coffee the needs of other people and to find ways to not only bring smiles to people back home in the United States, but keep smiles on people's faces. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go. That's why I'm going to wake up. And that's what I'm going to do. And so that's changed the way uh, my perspective on everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was, what was incredible and, and, and what's incredible and on, um, this is happening today, somewhere around the world, it's happening today in my village. Uh, literally, some a kid as soon as he is able to care for himself, mm-hmm. he is now become another way for us to get enough income to sustain the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. So, what would you think about investing on on a book, mm-hmm. sitting 
uh, in front of somebody talking to you when you literally could go out there and by working you could be helping your entire family it's just yeah. you know it makes it makes sense why you would do it yeah. it makes total sense why the immigration problem is the way it is and I hate to be political in a way but I, I really have a great point here that is the reason why our way of doing things will fix the immigration problem because if I was in their position, if I was in my dad's position to have to feed my family and have to find a way, I would do exactly the same thing. But if I had a way to to stay with my family, to stay with my kids, and at the same time provide for them and provide significance for myself and provide work and do something that I love, why would I not stay back home? So, in order for us to fix it, we have to in, empower all these micro communities and micro financing all these places so that these industries can can get the benefits that, that they can get by trading with us. Mm -hmm. And so, if you do this and you start empowering all these micro communities and micro uh, uh, economies, then that's how you fix families and that's how you fix immigration at its roots. And that's how you fix poverty at its roots. Poverty can only be fixed if you capitalize and educate. But you, if you capitalize and not educate, then you give, you create problems. And if you educate without capitalizing, you educate and you give them all this hope and you inflate them and you say, well, the world would be nice if we knew all this. But then you don't give them a way to do it. Mm -hmm. But if you do them at the same time, if you do them one by one, then that's how you eradicate poverty. And I am an example of that. Mm -hmm. I am a living example that if you capitalize and you educate, you break people from poverty. And because of that, my two boys today have no traces of poverty in their lives. Because that was if what was in place in my life. And a fork was created. And so I think, and that is what I hope to do throughout the entire coffee industry, throughout the entire world, is to be able to plant seeds, water them, and be able to figure out how those forks can grow in people's lives. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. Um, well, let's also, let's go back. So you learned English in eight months, and yes. that it wasn't easy. Yes. Um, it took a long time, but then you were able to go to, to college. What did you get your degree in? So... I go to college and I get to go to UALR um, and then but while I'm going to UALR um, I realize the Abernathy's have to move um, and so he goes you know I don't know um, I know you really want to be a computer so I had this dream when I was seven years old that I one day I would uh, <laughs> there is I would learn English and I would learn computers I would learn how to com program computers. I love computer. I love technology. Up to this point, my wife still thinks I'm crazy because I love every bit of technology. And if I had uh, more funds, I would spend all my money on technology, which is good. I don't know. Anyways, so I had this idea. I want to do it. So he knows, Mr. Abernathy goes, hey, I know you want to be a computer programmer. That's what you want to do. So if you go through Yale, are you going to have to go through an associate's degree and then computer science and all that? which is four years, which is fine. Or you can go to Pulaski Tech uh, and get an associate's degree and start programming immediately. So you mm -hmm. save two years of your life and you can do that. So I was like, man, I really just want an education. 
I just want to be able to um, to do what I love and I love programming. So that's how I ended up going to Pulaski Tech and I ended up graduating from Pulaski Tech with a computer, uh, an associate's degree in computer science. Okay. And um, I learned enough to, to be able to program. So I immediately, um, before I even graduate, I have a job offer and I start immediately programming. Uh, the day I get out and I program for this company, they had a um, uh, need for somebody who spoke Spanish and spoke English, uh, English of course, mm-hmm. and they could program. Mm-hmm. So I was a perfect fit for them. Yeah. Um, and I went in and I started uh, programming from, you know, the college kid. Mm-hmm. They just came out of college fresh uh, and I programmed for them for 14 years. Wow. And you were able to make a pretty sizable income doing that. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> I went from $20 in my pocket to um, taking my wife on a date on our very first day with $20 um, mm-hmm. to now I have a job. Mm-hmm. Now I can actually, um, you know, provide. And um, so I went from that to being able to provide and I grew. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I was uh, making significant good amount of money. 14 years later, mm-hmm. um, and for 14 years, I um, I was able to you know I lived the American dream. I went from from nothing, from rags, uh, if you if you think about it, to having this beautiful blonde girl, two beautiful boys, the white picket fans, the houses, the cars, all of that. Mm-hmm. And if you really stop and think about it, I had lived the American dream. Uh, that's that's what's what's everybody's hope is to yeah. do to go from zero to that. Mm-hmm. Now have this beautiful family, uh, to healthy. Uh, I think I have Elijah at that point. Uh, only uh, Elijah, one of my boys, and my wife, and we're working. Mm-hmm. And then I get into this. Oh, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go see my mom. I want to see my dad. I want to see my brother. Mm-hmm. Let's all pack and go for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So we go. And Elena fell in love with the country. Uh, she, I've always said, Elena is um, uh, a, Lat- a Latina <laughs> trapped in an American woman uh, body because uh, she loves everything about Guatemala. Uh, everything. How did you meet her? We, we met in the last semester of school. Okay. So uh, we're going through Pulaski Tech. She said Pulaski Tech because she needed to go get some, um, uh, some on the first um, years of college, you know, uh, what are they called? Um, anyway, so she's there in the last, the first week of my last semester, which by the way, my idea was to go home mm-hmm. uh, and, and go home to Guatemala because again, I wanted to go back to Guatemala and start a company whose sole purpose was to uh, find ways to make uh, technology available to pastors, mm-hmm. which is still one of my dreams. Mm-hmm. It's still why I just, a uh, couple of Oh, back in April, I actually got to fulfill some of that, and mm-hmm. I actually took a computer to one of the pastors. Um, and I literally just bought a computer. I knew he needed a computer because he needed to start writing his own sermons mm-hmm. and better. Um, so I took him a computer and I gave it to him um, mm-hmm. because that's you know I, what I wanted to do. So I hope I get to do that. So I'm on my way back, and um, or as the plan, and then I meet Elena and. <laughs> <laughs> 18 change. years later, here we are. <laughs> a little change. <laughs> a little change. Uh, yeah, there yeah. was another fork in my life, yeah. right? 
Wow. So um, she, you were mentioning she's a Latina woman trapped in a white woman's body. <laughs> she loves Guatemala. Is that what connected you to? Was it your culture? You know, I, um, first of all, I know um, it was totally. She is my uh, my soulmate, and uh, she is the the woman that uh, makes me better each day. The woman that uh, God had created and ordained for me to to be the rest of my life with, and and I couldn't be any more grateful for her. Um, it was immediate. Uh, it was one of those things that we started talking, and uh, now we, we joke that she always said that she wanted to marry a foreigner. Uh, she said, I remember, because we talk to the kids now all the time about when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And she, memories come back and she said, you know, I remember playing one day in my living room and learning, hearing about China and saying, you know, I want to marry somebody from a different country one day. Um, and so here we are, of course, fulfilling that. But uh, In Little Rock of all places. In Little Rock of all places, <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> so we ended up um, connecting very well and, and then... Um, I think we were like a year and a half, 18 months, something like that, is when we got married. Mm -hmm. And then, so you had the American dream. You had a beautiful wife. You have a beautiful wife. You have these beautiful kids. You're working in an industry that you really love, that you always wanted to do. But Guatemala kept calling you. Yeah. Again, um, I told you earlier that story of me being on the steps, looking up, Mm -hmm. wanting to go home. Um, which, by the way, for three months, I cried myself to sleep every night, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to go home. And I couldn't talk with my family about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really hard because you couldn't just pick up the phone and call. Because mm-hmm. they uh, don't have it. They still have no, they had no electricity in the village at this point. Yeah, they don't. And, but um, the house in the city does. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to make an international phone call mm-hmm. back in, in, in 1997, it was like three and a half bucks or something a minute, mm-hmm. right? So. Um, so it was so the Avernatis would allow me to call every once in a while and so I would cry myself to sleep for the first three months I literally cry myself to sleep every night just wishing to go home and my mom said now tells me that she always she she my my dad and, and her always got in a fight over this for the first three months and she always made beg my dad to find a way to bring me back and my dad uh, always said that it was it was so tough for him because mm-hmm. he saw his his uh, wife crying for his son and he couldn't do anything again. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, Guatemala has a, um, a way to to pull you in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I will go home every year. During those 14 years, I will go home every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, during, and every time I will go home, um, I will go back to the village because I love the place. The place, of, again, is, is gorgeous rainforest. Air is just different up there. You breathe cleaner air, the mornings are beautiful. Anyway, so we will go home and that would be like our deer camp kind mm-hmm. of deal. So we will go up there. And every time I will go back home, uh, everybody at the village, because once you, <laughs> once the war got out, the geo got went to, uh, to USA, people said we'll never see him again. Mm-hmm. Right. Because everybody that leaves for the United States, um, 99.9 of them leave illegally. They'll never come back because mm-hmm. there's no way to come back, right? Yeah. But here I am, so come as a student, I freely can go back and forth. So I will fly and everybody will be like, whoa, wow, Gio's back. So everybody will come see me. So and then I, we will do a party, have a party for everybody, all the neighbors or family will get together. 
But on the way back from Guatemala, on my trip back from Guatemala City to Houston, which is about two and a half, three hour flight over the Gulf of Mexico, it was probably the worst three hours of my life. Um, because I would feel so defeated and I would feel so helpless and I would feel, um, again, that why me? Why out of, you know, all these people I get to do this and I get to, um, live to come to the United States and once I will got here, um, I will get into the routine and, and sometimes I will forget and, 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 and it was just like, my gosh, I'm back into, my 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and mm-hmm. so it was just like what what was going on so over one of those trips I'm reading a magazine and I have a my little napkin for my half a Sprite and I see a, pro, a Chinese proverb on a magazine that says if you give a man a fish you will feed him for a day but if you teach him how to fish you will feed him for a lifetime mm-hmm. and I realized that that had exactly had happened to me I had um, I had been given that opportunity. I had been given that chance to um, not only I was fed for one day, but I was actually given the opportunity to learn how to do it. So I realized I was like, that's exactly what I got to do in my village. What if? And it started with that. What if? Why not? Uh, why not? Why do I not bring their coffee? They grow coffee already. They, this is what they've been doing for 60 plus years, ever since I know. Mm-hmm. What if I could get their coffee in the hands of my friends and family in the States? And then all of a sudden, I bridge the two. And while bridging the two, we break poverty in here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's it. I got off the phone, I got off the plane, called my dad, said, Dad, I made it, but I gotta tell you something. I tell him um, my idea and he says, son, I had a dream last night that I was giving somebody, a white man, a pound of coffee. And I said, that, it's it, we're doing it. So that's how Levis started. Levis, from day one, that was our plan. Mm-hmm. And it will continue to be our plan. Mm-hmm. And so um, I found it, I, I, uh, I saw it as a way for not only give back to, to my village and, 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 and help, uh, not only be on the boat, if you think about it, um, but reaching out and helping somebody else. Because see, this is, this is what's interesting about people in poverty. People in poverty, had most, of, most of the developed world think that what we, what we have to do is just give out, mm. give a hand there. And just give and just, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Throw some shoes at them, yeah, build yeah, them a well. Yeah, build yeah, them a well. Yeah. Give, nothing wrong with giving them clean water, nothing wrong with it, all that. Mm-hmm. And just saying, oh, gosh, I hate that you're in that position. I'm not, but you are. Mm-hmm. But here you go, here's a dollar. Um, get you some. Oh, here's some candy. Candy mm-hmm. will make you happy. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm just giving an example. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, yeah. But what I realize is that. Um, people in poverty because I knew I was I had been there all we want is an opportunity to succeed mm-hmm. all we need is an opportunity we don't want your handouts we want an opportunity we want your hand pulling us and helping me pull myself up mm-hmm. now I don't want you to go carry me sometimes I do need to be carried mm-hmm. but at the end of the day all I want is a chance for you to reach out pull me and help me get up 
and then so that we can do it for the rest. And so it was really beautiful when I got that picture. I was like, okay, that's what I need to do. I just, I was on this end, I'm here now, so how about if I start reaching out? It is hard, and, it, and the only way you can do it is by building these relationships and by building these bridges and understanding, hey, wait, it, there's a different way to do this. Um, and, and that's what I've said so many times is, is you know, um, it's good to do those, some of those things. It's good to, uh, I'm not saying that none of those are, are completely wrong. I'm just saying, what if we did it this way? What if we did it through building the relationships between the, the people that, that grow our, our coffee and, and in this case, our coffee? But at the end of the day, it's all about building relationships and about finding ways to bridge the gap between the end consumer and the producer. And yeah, removing that um, that corporate middleman, yes. right? Who's exploiting both ends. Yes. But really, kind of pulling them together to benefit instead of exploit. And let me just tell you a little bit about what happens there. So one of the sons, all of a sudden, this person now has that dream that my grandfather had. Oh, I wish I could shake hands with a person that enjoys my product. So it's just like a like a, at the fresh market or the farmers market here. Mm-hmm. You go and go. Hey, I want a pure form of this. And that person goes, hey, I have it. And then you go, okay, well, I really appreciate you making that for me. So here, thank you so much. And the other person goes, well, you know, I work really hard for this because this is what I know how to do well. And I'm glad that you enjoy it. And by the way, um, yeah, I do have the social needs. Uh, So we as a company have decided that uh, we would pay them for premium for their product and their labor back in Guatemala because now we have to not only get it from our farm but our neighboring farms and our friends because mm-hmm. we've we've been able to grow yeah. um, and then on top of that oh I see you need clean water dude you're drinking nasty water okay hold on I know who are I can find some clean water so here let me give you this filter mm-hmm. oh you haven't been brushing your teeth what the heck why not what does anybody brush their teeth around here well they don't have toothbrushes or toothpaste mm-hmm. oh my god well okay I have a bunch of dentist friends mm-hmm. hey guys I know these people back in the middle no freaking where they don't have how could you can you just give me something yeah yeah that's how we started hygiene pro oh kids can't go to school because they have to work two and a half hours to go to school um, well, what if they could only work 20 minutes to go to school and then, then can, they can still go to work because mm-hmm. they can still help because now instead of wasting five hours, now they only got to do 40 minutes of walking and then now we can get three or four hours of school and now they can still go to work. Yeah, they don't have so, to choose. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So do you have the ability yeah. to do it? So my old bedroom, I'm turned into a classroom. Mm-hmm. And But how do you get teachers over there? And how do you get quality teaching? Well, how about we do it through satellite internet? Mm-hmm. How about we do it? Well, you know, it costs us like 300 bucks or something a month to pay for satellite internet, but it's worth it. So what we do is through Skype. We use technology here. Yeah. So we get laptops. We got a lot of flat screen TV on the, on the TV and where the teachers can teach. My sister does it, does it via Skype. Mm-hmm. Boom, right? So that's how you do that. Is, is, is finding ways to use that say, hey, you know, your stuff is, is, produ- is, is pulling all the smoke inside your house. Your lungs are probably not going to last more than five years now at this point. Your kids' lungs are not going to last more because the smoke is there. Why, how about we build your stove and the smoke pipes out the smoke outside the house 
and is and is more energy efficient. Bingo. And all that happened because you decided to set aside some things that you needed and yeah. go get an education in the United States. Yeah. Let's rewind a little bit more back there because all these things stem from that, and it's remarkable. It's amazing. Um, but you were 14 years as a programmer, yeah. and then you started the business with your father, and yeah. you were doing both for a while. So you were there was yes. a lot going on. So. Um, you know, so I had my wife, my kids, and my kid, and I think at that point, Ethan was on his way. So, but we want to do this. So, um, and I had an amazing, and I still a great friend of mine, the owner of the company. Um, they knew about my dream, and he said, you know, I'll support you in any way. So, uh, but I wanted to fulfill my my task, and so I will work from um, eight to five or nine to six, whatever. And then um, I would, during my lunch hour, during, uh, as soon as I got off, mm-hmm. I would start uh, fulfilling orders. So what did that entail? You were, um, you were finding customers? Yeah, so I would find customers again. I would be shaking people's hands. Mm-hmm. I would be, so I started with 50 bags, 50 one-pound bags. And my mm-hmm. dad sent me from Guatemala mm-hmm. via FedEx, which FedEx just took my eye and an arm for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I get it out here and I start sharing it with friends and family. Mm-hmm. We say, oh my gosh, we got something good. So then we start bringing a little bit of green at a time. And so my, um, I will rent a roaster. I will roast uh, the coffee. Uh, actually, he did it because I didn't know. That's another thing about out of the four generations of coffee farmer, I'm the first one that knows how to roast mm. coffee, um, which is fascinating to me because one day I will be that grandfather that everybody talks about it. Oh, you know, he taught me how to roast coffee. So, well, that that's that's happening today. Mm-hmm. Um, so he would roast, and I would just get the roasted coffee, and I would put it in bags, and I would distribute it. So that's what I started doing, and I did it out of my laundry room, which my wife hated, <laughs> with a little grinder. Uh, I started with a little blade grinder uh, that would burn after 20 times or something like that. Um, then, um, so I grind it. Then I went to the laundry, then from the laundry I went to my living room, then the living room to my third car garage. And all of this, I will do it uh, from 9 p.m. until whenever I got it done. Because I wanted to come home, help my wife with the kids, put the kids to bed, spend some time with her, and then I will go on. And so that, and that went from being an hour, 30 minutes, to, you know, I remember when the Capitol Hotel... Um, sign up to be uh, with us. It was one of those days that I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I get an account like the Capitol Hotel. And then I turned around and I went, uh-oh, how am I going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was fun because I say that all the time. I'm like, it was such a like, yay! Mm-hmm. Oh, frick. <laughs> Not wisely. So anyway, so I would, during that time, that's when I really worked from um, I will work from 9 p.m. to about 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning, get a little bit of sleep, go to work. Mm-hmm. And I did Monday through Friday. Saturdays, I was spending the whole day. Uh, the kids would be there. It was a family van. Mm-hmm. My father-in-law would come. We would all buy coffee and, and stuff like that. And we did that, um, you know, anywhere between three to six months. Mm-hmm. And during that time, uh, my wife came to me, and, and you could tell it was terrible taking a toll on, my, on me. Mm-hmm. The company was really busy too at that point, uh, my programming company, uh, our programming company. So she came to me one day, she said, honey, I want you, and you're dying. You're mm-hmm. killing yourself, mm-hmm. so you need to choose. But 
imagine um, our lifestyle was completely at that point it was just like uh, there's no way we can go think about it we, didn't, we were not going to have insurance mm-hmm. I, had a, I had an 18, 19 month old mm-hmm. I was not going to have insurance yeah. my wife didn't have a job because she stayed home mm-hmm. and you were asking me to give it all up for a dream and uh, what if you know but it was a passion of mine and it was it was something that I knew that I could do it if I fully focus on but at the same time I had that fear that what if I can't feed my kids mm-hmm. and what if I can't feed my wife um, we had just built this beautiful which our house that we lived in um, so because this wasn't wasn't the plan yet yeah. right yeah. but uh, but it was a passion of mine yeah. it was a desire to help it was a desire to go uh, okay, we're gonna make this happen, and so. What year was that that you were? Okay, you were doing both at that. Well, uh, I'm gonna be five years in March, so five years ago. Okay. And so I walked in. So I say, uh, Elena says, "Well, let's do this. Let's see if mm-hmm. we can do it." Yeah. And um, so I walked in into my uh, boss the next morning, and I said, "Bro, I'm it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I have to go do this. I have to go do this full time." And so that for you, it wasn't that you had a certain amount in the bank or that you knew it was going to go. It was just, I, I have to make a choice here and I'm going to choose the thing I, I need to pursue. Yeah, it was it was a choice of, um, one of us to continue living <laughs> so mm-hmm. I could not kill myself yeah, yeah. working because I literally, I could work myself. I could be a workaholic for real because I love working. I love being able to produce stuff. I love that. Um, but it was a matter of, of pursuing a passion of yours. They had, um, they had gotten a hold of your heart so much that if you have a, you're at that moment in life that is whether you can make it happen by, um, by jumping all in or just touching the water, mm-hmm. you just got to figure out whether or not you can do it. Mm-hmm. And you can... And so no, we didn't have any savings. We we were not planning. This moment was not planned in our life. And when we look back five years ago, um, uh, we every the first few days that I was unemployed, <laughs> but I was working for myself, and we were able to pay ourselves. Me and Elena would just jump for joy. It was just like, oh my gosh, we're getting paid. There was enough sales. Hey, have five, have five. We got paid on it. Yes. Because it was just like, yes, we went from having a great salary to, I think the, the first year we filed for taxes, it was like twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 or something like that. Yeah. It was tough. It was really tough. How long did it take to get to a place where you were viable again to like, I can well, take care of my family? Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I think it probably about through two years ago. Or about so a year ago, it was recent. The first three, four years. Oh my God, it's, it's been it's been tremendous uh, sacrifice. We chose from the birth of Elijah that we wanted to invest in our kids, and we didn't want anybody else raising our kids. We we knew that um, we knew that our kids, uh, God had given us uh, two precious boys that were entrusted to us in our li- in and their lives depending on us. And so we chose from that day that she would never work. 
Um, and so we went on and, and she had an option to work, but we wanted our kids to be with her. Mm-hmm. And so we joke with the kids sometimes and we said, you know, we sacrifice so that you will never have to be at a daycare. Mm-hmm. You, you probably have been at a daycare once or twice in your life because we wanted to invest in your life. We wanted to be there for you. And so it was, um, it was tough, but it was, a, it was a calculated decision that we made. Um, and we were able to, um, to continue doing that. But that allows us to really figure out how to make a dollar go long ways. <laughs> mm. <laughs> to think about it a little bit more. When there's a lot of money, it doesn't matter so much. When yeah. there's a little money, it matters yes. more. Uh, well, it's quite a journey. <laughs> yes. Um, so right now you're getting to the point where it's it's really coming together and you're thinking about <clears throat> moving forward. What are some of your goals for um, Leavis Coffee? What, what do you want to do uh, moving forward? Well, you know, that is an open-ended question. There's so many things we want to do. One of them, um, um, I don't know if I can in touch in all of them, but, you know, we, I really want to bring passion back into the coffee, and I want to be able to, uh, want to freshness matters, um, you know. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I didn't know the difference between a freshly roasted coffee <laughs> and one, like, you go to, like, a Starbucks, and they're not roasting on yeah. premises. It's very different when they're actually roasting directly on premises yes. or very recently yes. to the time that it gets yes. on premises. So let's talk about that for a second. You know, there's so much to talk about, but, you know, coffee is... Um, Coffee is a commodity, and it's actually a seed. Um, that is, um, so um, I don't know um, who decided that roasting coffee was a great idea, but I'm grateful that that happened. <laughs> uh, but so what happens is the moment you roast it, it is, starts deteriorating, and so it starts releasing CO2s. Oils start coming out. The oils go stale. Um, depends on the roast that you do, you know, uh, uh, medium, dark roast, French roast, all of that, uh, coffee is just, it like oxygen, it starts hitting it, it starts just deteriorating. Uh, so it's a, it's a live product, it, it's a live thing that is, is, is sitting right there and you, uh, it starts deteriorating as it gets roasted. So the farther away from that roast date you get, the, the less purity of the flavors you get. And so that's why it was important. So that's why it's important to get it closer to mm-hmm. the roast state. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so close. So one of the things I wanted to do is I said, well, you know, I want freshness. I, I know my mom and dad and my friends and family are working hard on producing that. And so another thing that makes us very unique is that we are crop-based um, and yearly-based. So what we do is we, that year's crop comes to us and we sell it mm-hmm. and then we go to the next year's crop and we sell it compared to having a two one two three year old crop mm-hmm. for green robbing so mm-hmm. then i said okay well then in that case what i want is i want a, a state-of-the-art roaster that i know would use is um to the bet it would roast the coffee to its best point mm-hmm. so i invested in a state-of-the-art roaster i did that and i said well i want every bit of coffee to get roasted and get to people's hands within three to four days. And that includes when you're shipping yes. all over the United States. So, so, uh, okay. um, so that's why I was like, okay, so it doesn't matter if I, uh, how much it's gonna cost me, mm-hmm. but I want that to be the case. Because mm-hmm. uh, my goal is to exchange it with you, but I can do it virtually or I can do it through uh, the mail system. And so 
you, we offer monthly memberships and, and for that reason because every Monday I come in and I know all the people that are going to uh, need their coffee this week mm -hmm. because it's been a month since they have it or a week, two weeks and I roast their coffee first and I roast all their coffee, we package it, they, they immediately less than 24 hours day, uh, later we package it, we don't use any uh, nitrogen, we don't use anything extra, we just literally package it, a lot of companies do this, put it in an envelope, ship it out that afternoon. And so by the time it gets to you, it start, coffee starts really uh, peaking about two to three days after you get it, and then it starts really, really deteriorating, maybe to me, after three to four weeks. Right. So, which is when it's time to buy some more. When it's time to buy <laughs> yeah. some more. So that's when we. That's why I created that, so that I could always keep that going. Um, and so, on, and then now with the mail system, we we ship coffee to uh, throughout the entire country. Uh, we have uh, customers from one end to the other end. So it's been pretty awesome. Yeah, that's great. And so, top three goals moving forward what do you want to do um, I want to be in every uh, I want to be in every home in America I want every home in America to taste my coffee you know Bill Gates once said, once said that he wanted every home in America to have a computer mm -hmm. and back when he said that everybody was like yeah right mm -hmm. well look at us today so I, I've, I've gone that bold I said you know I want every home in America to enjoy a fine cup of coffee that's what I want. I, I want. Uh, so that's my goal number one. My goal number two is to eradicate poverty completely out of my village, mm -hmm. and to create a model by which can be duplicated mm -hmm. throughout the, the entire coffee region in the world. Mm -hmm. And I want to go and find uh, labors. Uh, I want to find family just like ours. Mm -hmm. They are crying to find a way to get to an end consumer. Um, and I want to find that bridge and I want to build that bridge um, and uh, I want to do it through building relationships with them mm -hmm. so I want to do that and um, I also can't wait to see uh, one of the kids from our village or other village to have some sort of doctor degree or mm -hmm. go far in education yeah. um, and get a position knowing that um, you know many years ago it was because of us that he's school journey started mm -hmm. and now he's giving back yeah. I, I think um, you know I tell people this all the time if I would go to the grave today uh, I would go to the grave the most satisfied man uh, because I, I chose to do something mm -hmm. that seemed impossible mm -hmm. and I took my family I led my family through that I provided for my family and I provided for many other families at the same time, and I left my fingerprint, and I did legacy work. Mm -hmm. And if you really stop and think about it, I would die satisfied. I was like, okay, I, mm -hmm. did I have a new boat? Did I do I drive a brand new car? No, I drive a 14-year-old car that needs oil every two days, <laughs> and that I can't take farther than two hours. Yeah. But who cares? Mm -hmm. Who cares? Do I did I eat today? I had a wonderful three eggs this morning. And um, and I'll get to do it again tomorrow. And I know that uh, my life matter for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so that's uh, that's my goal in life. My goal is that one day, um, sooner or later, that I get to share 
uh, in front of crowds this story uh, and, and drinking coffee with them. And to really let people enjoy what a beautiful cup of coffee and how a single coffee bean has the opportunity to touch so many lives and that we all can enjoy and lock arms and that change. Mm -hmm. And for this generation, for the future generation and generations to come. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Labus is all about, mm -hmm. is the Labus way of doing things. Beautiful. Well, Giovanni, thank you so much mm -hmm. for sharing your story. Um, this has been Sustaining Craft with Elizabeth Silverstein and my guest today, Giovanni Leva of Leva's Coffee. And this podcast would not be possible without the help of my friends. Uh, original artwork by Morgan Lane of The Inkling Girl, audio editing by Joshua Kurtz, and original music by Jim Chiago of Nomad Neighbors. Catch him playing around Denver on most weekends or his music under iTunes and Spotify under 7 Second Chance. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? You know, we were talking earlier about what what are some of the things that, uh, or a tip that I could give to somebody. And I told you, I hope, I hope to inspire people. I hope to inspire people to do uh, something that they love, to do something that they uh, has legacy impact. Mm -hmm. And uh, I uh, I read uh, a lot from Mark Patterson. Mm -hmm. He's a great author, and uh, he says something on his book this morning that when I was reading, he said, "Live today." like it's the first and last day of your life. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really what I, uh, I want to do. I want to live today like it's my first and last day of my life. And I want to live with no regrets. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, um, knowing that my life matters, uh, not only to my immediate family, but to families around the globe. And that each morning, every person that drinks our coffee, can feel like they're being part of our family and, uh, and they have joined the journey um, and so that's what I hope to do is and that's the tip that I would give anybody trying to think of doing something is live today like it's the first and last day of your life.